My name is Yaniv Korem. I'm here to study successful innovation professionals and uncover the mindset and models they use to derest the future. On this podcast, I invite fellow professors, practitioners, and entrepreneurs to have an honest conversation about the business of innovation. No more bullshit. We talk openly and honestly about what works and what doesn't. So come on, get your ass in that seat. School's about to start. Hey, Jesse, how are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks, Yanni. Glad to be on the show. So yeah, I thought we'd do something a little different today to our listeners. Um, tell them a little bit about you. Who are you, Jesse? Sure. So um, I'm the co-founder and chairman for Vima. Uh, and Vima is basically the most widely used and highest rated innovation management software in the world. Um, so that, that's what I've been doing for, for the last seven years. Um, before that, um, I've uh, worked as a software engineer, technical project manager. I've done a bit of consulting, enterprise sales, uh, online and content marketing for rapidly growing software companies and, and, and uh, have quite a kind of like wide ex- experience of, of different things uh, before focusing full time on our work with, with Vima. That's great. That's great. And what is Vima for those uh, listeners who don't know? Yeah, so um, we basically provide companies with a platform that they can use to collect ideas from their stakeholders um, and then manage those ideas effectively in order to basically make more innovation happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so our software basically takes care of most of the like, heavy lifting and, and serves as a platform for, for um, like building your process on top of. Um, and I think what makes it... Uh, uh, yeah, so good is that it's uniquely flexible and very engaging to use um, while still obviously being robust enough for, for the needs of, of like even the biggest organizations in the world. Hmm. Okay, and you're based in Finland? Yes, yes, that's correct. Uh, we're, we're based in Finland, but we've uh, basically aimed to be uh, a global company from, from the very beginning. So we now have uh, more than 8,000 organizations using the, oh. the software from all over the world. Wow. Wow. Have you seen an uptick since COVID-19? Yeah, actually, funnily <laughs> enough, Mar- March was, was the, the biggest month ever for us in terms of, of like uh, both website visitors and, and software signups uh, as well. We actually decided to make our basic plan free for, for an unlimited number of users to help organizations uh, like survive the current crisis and hopefully come out a bit right. stronger than before. Right. Did you did you see that? Um, I guess it's a meme. I don't know what to call it, but it's kind of been running around social media, where there's a multiple choice um, question, and the question is, um, who was responsible for your digital transformation? And you've got a the CEO, B the CTO, and C COVID nineteen. Yeah, yeah, I actually heard that on our, on our on our team's chat as well. So <laughs> I've been, I, just, I just think it's so funny, and I've been sending that to to everyone. Um, yeah, it, it's funny, and at the same time, it's not. It's it's a little uh, frustrating, I think, for mm-hmm. us in the innovation space. And I think, you know, uh, as as my co-host, so what we're talking about today, or what we want to talk about today is uh, obviously innovation but the fact that it is a risky business but so are the alternatives right and i think there there isn't a better indicator of that than what's happening right now with with covid-19 what do you think 
Yeah, spot on. I think like that's exactly right. Um, like so many companies uh, are obviously like because their businesses are built on like the physical presence and, and are uh, like not built to handle these kind of uh, unexpected events. Uh, like they really have a hard time at the moment. Um, and then there are companies like Zoom that we're currently using to, to record this episode that are doing extremely well. Uh, right. So uh, yes. it's it's unfortunate, but I think it's, it's going to be one of those things where uh, the divide between the the, those that are uh, like used to the uh, digital world and and used to innovation are going to thrive, and those who aren't uh, are at a very large risk of being left behind. Yeah, it, it seems like it's that sort of tension between you know the the pain pleasure principle. Um, you're in life, sort of always either running from pain or chasing pleasure, and so. If businesses, I feel like if businesses don't feel the pain, like they're feeling it right now, there's no reason, there's no, you know, impetus for, for or a need, a really need for, for change. Is that, is that something that you've like experienced, I guess, in your work with Vima, like talking to other companies and organizations? I think so. I think it's quite common that um, like, well, the vast majority of our customers um, like use the tool mostly for um, the kind of incremental improvement and incremental innovation. Yes. Um, like, uh, obviously, that's what like they should be spending the majority of their time and resources to do anyway. But still, like, uh, it's rarer than they than it should be that they would actually like uh, be using innovation to try to uh, really build new businesses and and come up with breakthrough innovations and stuff like that that's actually like exceedingly rare yeah yeah so i, I want to give a little bit of context to um you know how you got on this episode um and uh and the story was i was doing some research um, around innovation management tools and i came across uh, vima and was very impressed and i reached out to you uh, because I noticed that you guys were doing something a little different than all the others, which was um, kind of polling your audience uh, at different times about certain things that were going on, like little questions of like, why are you not doing this? Or uh, why are you doing that? That sort of, you were sort of having this conversation through the interface, um, which I thought was super interesting. And I reached out to you and asked you about that. And you said, yeah, it's a feature we just implemented and we're still collecting the data. And I was wondering if you can kind of share um, some of your, I guess, preliminary uh, insight from, from, that, from that feature, from that process. Like, what was the conversation with the audience in the background? What, what's on their mind as they're using the tool? Sure. So obviously... Um um, even though the question asks for, for what's basically preventing them from making more innovation happen, uh, because they're using the tool, obviously some of that will, uh, some of the discussion will be focused on like um, incremental improvements related to specific features of the tool. Um, but I think the more um, interesting uh, thing to discuss here is is the kind of like things that are that are actually like uh, 
organizational challenges or or um, like the higher level challenges mm. um and i think like um the the couple that we've seen be repeated a number of times is basically like um the the management's um reluctance to try new things um mm. and, and the decision making processes related to that um and then the the other uh quite common one is basically the, the, the culture and and the culture not being like supportive of innovation right why yeah so I, so right so top management executives like the ceo c suite level type of decision making um, not necessarily um like i think that's that's also part of the problem uh, is that they might not be involved in the innovation work in in many organizations mm. uh, at all uh, which obviously um isn't exactly helping the the situation yeah. um but it's it's more that that um like the way we see it is that uh, many uh companies have very strict decision making processes on how they do anything that requires any kind of investment mm. um and those um same processes that work when you're planning to build a new factory uh, isn't obviously the same kind of process that would be ideal for for um any kinds of innovations especially like the either the disruptive or breakthrough kind or even the incremental kind it's it's just uh, like a completely different kind of decision making process that you need for for these kind of situations. Yeah. Is it is it true that like my experience has been that they don't even budget for innovation. I mean, it's always this sort of um thing that you've got to um kind of you know, take a little bit from here, take a little bit from there or, you know, kind of raise funds here or there there isn't um, a structured process for budgeting innovation let's say like on a pnl right um as as there mm-hmm. is for other business units or business activities is is that has that been your experience as well i i think that's often the case that um like it's that the business units that have pnl responsibility that are uh, like running the the more uh, incremental kind of innovation and are using their own budgets to do that and that obviously means that there are often um like tough decisions that that need to be made uh, on what to invest and what not to invest and there might not be uh, enough budget and and of course enough uh like time and expertise in the staff to to really work on innovation yeah. um but i think it's also quite common these days that there's a, a small centralized innovation team um often it's just a few people um that are then uh, like probably often have their own budget but but it's not really enough to really uh implement any kind of innovation themselves it's enough to basically run their own operations perhaps use a tool like ours um uh, perhaps facilitate some kind of of things within the the organization or, or or um like train their other employees on but not really for for actually like implementing any of the the innovations that that they would be uh striving to right to come right. up with right so your tool vima let's try to uh, you know maybe map out a bit the i'd say the innovation uh, life cycle okay or or a funnel for lack of a better word um 
your tool is positioned sort of at the front, at the beginning of that uh, funnel where you're generating ideas. Is that right? Yes, yes, that's correct. So okay. we really um, started off uh, with just a platform for collecting ideas and we've mm. then evolved from there, like basically together with our customers to kind of like support the the like whole innovation process. Um, but um, like we're still very, very focused on the front end of it. And um, like, especially, um, well, in the, in the case of like more incremental innovations, um, our software might also be the platform um, for um, like tracking the implementation and, and uh, like for that kind of st stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, but when you have larger innovations, you obviously like build uh, teams and projects out of those. Um, and those teams and projects uh, or those, the organization usually has some kind of a project management tool already in use. So yeah. if our software was was to try to kind of like do the same job, then we would be running into uh, a lot of challenges in, in like being overlapping with the existing tools that the, the organization uses. Right. So what we've uh, wanted to the role role of the software to be basically is to serve as the platform where the ideas are, where you have visibility onto what's going on with them and where you manage the decision-making process related to those ideas. But then the actual work of implementing a, a new business or a, a new product is then uh, like managed in the project or product management tools that the organization is already mm -hmm. using if it's like a major uh, project like that. Yeah, that's key, right? I mean, you don't want to overload the potential user with yet another, you know, enterprise whatever software tool, right? Exactly. And and like when you want to build that culture of innovation that supports innovation and sees it as important, you have to engage people from uh, like all over the organization and, and really have to get them on board. So it's, it's key that the people uh, have... Um, a software and user interface that doesn't try to do everything, but is just like there for for trying to inspire and and uh, like provide them with with information on what things are going on within the organization. Mm, right, right. So, okay, going back to that funnel of innovation, um, your 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 stakeholder, your champion within the organization is is who the the innovation manager. It can be the innovation manager, but, but um, uh, like I would say that it, it's perhaps 50% of the time it's it's um, an innovation manager and uh, the rest of the time, maybe even a bit more than that, uh, it's mm. often someone um, within those business units who has that um, either PL responsibility directly or a person that they've assigned to be responsible for their uh, like development process. So. Um, many of these organizations might not even use the term innovation uh, like mm. internally. So uh, okay. it, it's, it's basically improvement or development that they refer it to in, in many cases. That's interesting. Okay, well, I want to explore that a little bit, uh, but but um, let's let's put that aside for a second because I sure. want to. Um, okay, that's super interesting. So. Do you think that person, I want to kind of walk, like put myself in the shoes of that person who doesn't know Vima and wants to get into it. And I want to kind of dive into what's, what's the rationale behind it. Um, do you think that their first, um, you know, interest 
in Vima is because they are feeling uh, sort of overwhelmed with what's happening and kind of want to, I guess, recruit a bigger, their team or a bigger team to kind of help them with, you know, um, idea storming or brainstorming or like but essentially cr- a crowdsource innovation. Do you think that's maybe one of the first interests? Um, I think there's like, um, like if we go back to those two different uh, like groups of, of, of champions that we have. Mm-hmm. So with the innovation managers, I would say that the like stereotypical case is that um, like they're part of that small um, innovation team. Maybe there's a few people there. Um, then uh, someone from the management group has probably given them uh, an assignment of, of basically just saying that, like, why don't you go and make make more innovation happen for our organization, <laughs> and, and 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 then they, it, that that might basically be be everything that they they they've been told. They they've then been given a, a small budget, and then they kind of like have to figure out how to actually make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they really don't have the resources or the team or the people to. Uh, actually implement that innovation themselves they have to get the the like uh, organization on board and they have to build the capabilities within each of the existing business units to really succeed in that and they have to build that culture of innovation um, and and basically like the only way to you can actually make that change happen and and change the culture is through the ways of working that the organization is uses so they you have to obviously build the vision and communicate that vision, but then you have to make sure that there are actually like some kind of processes in place that really help you guide the day-to-day work. So if, mm. if you just talk about the importance of innovation, then maybe people will get excited, but then uh, next week they've all f- forgotten that, uh, like especially in times like this. Yes. So if, if, it's, if it's not really a part of the day-to-day uh like work of people, it, it, nothing's going to change. Um, so, so I think that that's like the, the stereotypical case for those innovation managers. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's getting is using Vima to to keep like the team engaged, keep people engaged. Yeah, keep keep people engaged, and then um, obviously, um, like when people are working in their own parts of the organization, then have some kind of visibility into what's going on. Um, in other parts of the organization, engage people in the conversation. Um, like if you come up with an idea and then someone knows that may, this guy has already been working on this idea before, you can just use the platform to kind of like get everybody to join yeah. in on the conversation when it's the, the right, uh, right. What time about to the engage o- them. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what, what about the other stakeholder? Not the innovation. Um, yeah, so so um, if that's basically like I would say that often the, their title is development manager or or something to that extent. Mm. Um, so for them, it's it's usually that uh, like now they hear these uh, improvement suggestions uh, in the water cooler cooler talks or or uh, these days mostly via email or their Slack or Zoom chats or or uh, like Microsoft Teams chats and like it's it's just like uh, they get these ideas from from all over the place. They might yeah. keep them uh, in an Excel file or something, but it's really hard for them to kind of like try to even keep track of that. Let alone like ask people to to share those systematically. Um, and then they have to do the work of evaluating them, uh, evaluating those ideas in mm-hmm. order to present the, the like most promising ones to to the 
people who are making the decisions on what uh, improvements to to implement and, and which ones to not. So uh, like there's a lot of like manual work and hassle involved and they basically want a tool that makes their life much easier. So you can use the same platform for collecting them. Uh, you just set, set up uh, an evaluation criteria and ask uh, people to rate those ideas or, or in some case they want to be rating them themselves or yeah. depending on the situation. It, it just makes the whole process so much more uh, easy for them to manage, but also transparent to all of the other stakeholders so that the person doesn't become basically like uh, an obstacle and uh, where all the information uh, like stops. <laughs> right, right. It come, becomes a bottleneck for, for the process. Uh, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's also a great way to get everyone, again, engaged and feeling like it's a way to include them in the conversation, which is mm-hmm. always important because um, I guess my experience has been that in a lot of organizations, they when in if and when they decide to put something someone in charge of innovation, that usually is great, but it also makes it it becomes siloed. It's like it's that person or unit's responsibility to do innovation or to make innovation, right? Whatever that means. Uh, mm-hmm. And then everyone kind of, you know, uses that as an excuse. So I don't have to do innovation. I don't, you know, it's that person's job. Um, so I think creating a platform, um, it makes a lot more sense, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and like that, that's also, I think, like one of the, the key mistakes is that um, when, uh, organizations name that specific team or person who's responsible for innovation um, they kind of like expect there to just be one innovation process and then the one team to take care of all of that innovation work when in reality it doesn't work like that because there's so many different kinds of innovations and, and for different parts of the organization that there's no way that that one team could uh, like implement all of those uh, let alone uh, even know what those challenges might be even like if they do uh, like tons and tons of work of interviewing people across the organization about the challenges and opportunities they see there's no way that they can still map out all of those right 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 exactly so how can we how can we help um, our listeners who are um, you know who are thinking about innovation maybe have tried uh, doing that um, you know, perhaps have had some success or perhaps perhaps have had some failures. How can we help folks de-risk innovation? Because, uh, you know, when you think about innovation, I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that a lot of organizations don't call it innovation, which I think that might be perhaps a beginning of an answer to this question. Like, how can you, how can we help organizations de-risk innovation? Yeah, I think like that. That's um, exactly part of the part of the answer is is the terminology and a common understanding of of what innovation is. Um, and like, there's obviously so much hype uh, regarding the term. And and like, if you mention it, um, like the term gets a, a bad rep uh, in 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 a lot of organizations. So yes. they think that like they should become the next. Uh, um, whatever uh, innovative company you want to name. The Uber, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Uber of their industry or whatever. So so <laughs> like uh, um, they think that, that, that they should just uh, like completely 
like root out everything that they've built for years and and just like do completely the opposite of what they've been doing so far and and mm. of course there are situations where that that might be the the route to go but that's really the exception and in most cases uh like the the vast majority of organizations would really benefit most from focusing especially in the beginning of their like innovation journey to focus on the incremental uh side of innovation so um yeah it, that's that's why the terminology might not be the best thing to do in the beginning so if you just start talking about innovation you might have a lot of skeptics especially in the top management if they've seen innovation uh projects uh like uh like yeah. go down in flames before so <laughs> so so um, in, in, in those cases you, you just focus on incremental improvement development whatever you want to call it and just focus on uh like improving the core of your business and do that uh, as well and as uh, like as well as possible, basically. Um, and you want to make sure that you are able to implement new ideas quickly. You're able to like test out new things uh, in a rapid way and and able to create a culture where everybody feels that they're part of like making the organization better every day that they're there. They're just not. Like not just doing their job, but thinking about ways that they could do things better. And once you have that kind of a culture, then uh, like adding the term innovation and maybe thinking about the longer term future of the organization is a much easier thing to do than it would be if you just like start from like that. Let's be Uber of whatever industry. Yes. Yeah. I think that's so true. Yeah. Get rid of all the bullshit and, uh, and start by really figuring out what that term means to your organization and what are you trying to accomplish? What does success look like, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I like to, so if I think about a checklist, right, for de-risking innovation, I would say, um, you know, stop whatever you're doing right now and kind of first try to reevaluate, I guess, uh, what works and what doesn't. I'd say, yeah, examine the language that you're using, the terminology that you're using. Is everyone on the same page? Do, do people understand what it is that you're talking about? Because many, many times, um, I used to be an architect like many years ago, and the example uh, I got in architecture school was, um, okay, if I just said, if I tell you to think about a chair, Okay, and I think about a chair. I'm pretty certain that we are both thinking about different chairs, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so we we need to we need to visualize that. We need to say what that chair looks like exactly, and that takes a little bit of effort. Also, you know, in the communication, but maybe beyond that, like try to do something together, like co-create something, and then you get a shared understanding of what that thing is. I think a lot of organizations don't get to that point. Like they use this term innovation interchangeably to mean whatever, right? It can mean yeah. whatever. And then when I say innovation and you say innovation, we might be talking about completely different things. Yeah. And and then when you just say that like 
uh, often the top management guidance is is quite vague in in that sense. So then uh, the people who are actually supposed to make that happen are in a really really difficult position uh, unless they are able to like really get that shared understanding of what the term means across the entire organization. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think okay. So once you've done that, you've kind of established. Um, you know your 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 visions and your goals and your shared understanding of what that innovation, what that thing means to you. I would say um, put a plan together. What do you think? Like a, you could call it a strategy, but I think that's even bigger than what most companies need. I think just having a simple plan that you and other people can actually follow is is more yeah. important. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And I think that's like um, like another like really common challenge is that uh, like perhaps someone in the organization, maybe it's one of the top managers uh, like uh, that has a vision of what the future could look like. And then uh, like there's just uh, nothing in between. And then you start uh, like some kind of a some kind of an in, in our case, like an idea challenge or, or idea management process. Uh, and then like and you organize a hackathon but mm. there's like no uh like real like program in place that uh, like goes from that vision uh to the then the, the choices that you choose to pursue uh in order to have the best chance of, of making that vision happen and then uh like uh like making those choices into a very tangible and very practical uh actionable plan of, of like we're going to do these X things this year and then these things the following year and, you know, yes. that, that kind of an approach. Yeah, exactly. And I would even say uh, in, in many of those cases, start with the end in mind. I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been to so many of these hackathons where if you do uh, more than one, you know, one is one is fun, one is great, people feel energized, but then if you do more than one, and, and nothing happens with the first one, people get sort of annoyed. And, uh, and then you lose that momentum, you lose the, the efficacy of that tool, of that method. So I think starting with the end in mind, like you said, you know, have that, have that plan, uh, think about what you want to accomplish and what the success look like at the end of that hackathon, and then run the hackathon. Mm-hmm. Running the hackathon is easy. Well, it's not yeah, easy, yeah. but... <laughs> But in, in the grand scheme of things, it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so okay. So you've got that shared understanding. You've got the, the strategy or that simple plan. I would say, um, and that's why I like Vima, is get stakeholders, like figure out who your stakeholders are and get them involved. Like, right? Create, a, create a, an ecosystem around yourself. Right? Figure out... You know, who are the other people that you need uh, to get involved and, mm. and, and start having those conversations? Like, what, what do you think? Have you, have you seen that happening? Yeah, yeah. I think, like, um, the organizations that have had the most success with Vima, uh, most of those, um, like, have built processes where there might be someone who's basically, like, who's the owner for the software um, and like serves as a facilitator for the whole process and, and teaches others. But that then like um, 
well, in Vima, we have these things called boards that are basically the representation of, of one ideation mm. process or innovation process. Mm. And in those organizations, uh, like each of those boards has their own like managers who are responsible for that specific process. And, and those might represent individual teams uh, within organizations. It might be that the customer service team has their own, or it might be that a business uh, unit has their own. Maybe it's the marketing team, you know, there are obviously you can innovate on so many different <laughs> levels and so many different things that whatever is the most applicable for for your case um, might be different. But but the the shared thing is that that you have owners who are responsible for making innovation happen all across the organization. So yeah. you have to get those people on board and have to get them to to like carry the responsibility of, of yes. making those improvements and changes, developments, innovations, whatever you want to call them, yeah, uh, happen. I like that word own ownership. Yes, I I agree 100%. You need to find those uh, champions, those stakeholders within the organizations who are going to own innovation or own that process, own that change because you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. And if they don't own it, it's not going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. I guess you also have to sell them on the idea of why they should want to own it, right? <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, the, those those people are always going to be busy. They they have plenty of other things to <laughs> to, to take care of. So, <laughs> yes, uh, you have to sell them on the idea. And of course, like, well, uh, kind of like going back to why our tool um, really helps in that is that uh, like you can use your time so much more efficiently if you have something that takes care of, of like a lot of the manual work instead of like uh, that person having to run uh, through different email uh, discussions and, and Excel spreadsheets and you name it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Do you think, so here's an interesting question. And I've, again, going back to the uh, um removing obstacles to innovation do they or should they think about a budget beforehand because um the, the reason i'm asking that because talking about money or asking for a budget it always introduces friction into the process and i'm kind of wondering should they just kind of go with it like you know if they if they're using vima and they want to start a process should they just you know pilot that thing start with it or say no let's think about what the budget should be because we're thinking long term and if we do this and it's successful we want to make sure that we can sustain it what do you what do you think i think that depends quite a lot on the kind of business you're in and the kind of um, ideas and innovations mm -hmm. that you're looking to to come up with like um for example, in our business, uh, like it's it's very immaterial. Uh, like the marketing we do is mostly content marketing online. Um, like the sales we do is is basically like sales sales calls via Zoom and Teams and and so forth. Uh, our product development doesn't really need a budget. We use mostly open source software and and like we can do basically any kind of. Uh, improvements and innovations with just like the time of employees mm. um, so in that case if it's if the ideas are something that we consider to be important it's really easy for us to just prioritize that ahead of something that we were uh, initially thinking of doing and we don't really need to have a specific budget for that mm -hmm. but then if those uh, ideas and improvements were uh, like related to 
like the production line of your factory, then obviously you're going to need to have a budget for for uh, like uh, implementing those those uh, like ideas, and it, it doesn't really make sense to to start uh, like collecting those ideas uh, before that. Yeah. Uh, unless you have to convince your boss that like we have many good ideas, we just need the budget for making them happen. <laughs> <laughs> in which case, it, it, it might make sense. But but in general, like uh, uh, we recommend that that if you don't need a budget, just go ahead and start implementing it and start making positive change happen. Yeah. But then then again, uh, like if the ideas are something that you can't implement without a budget, then then try to get that. Yeah. Another quick question for you. Uh, which has been bothering me for a while is okay we've collected a bunch of ideas uh, with Vima we can prioritize them should we go for low-hanging fruit or big impacts well that, that again <laughs> depends on the situation <laughs> as with so, as with so so many other things that are rare to innovation yes. um, um, like well, one thing that we for example like advocated our customers to do in in like these kinds of 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 times where uh like many organizations need to do tough cuts and and really like save on costs wherever they can is that yeah. they start with those like low hanging fruits uh, if if there are things that they can implement but of course like uh if they really need to like well uh, like if it doesn't not really depend like specific yes. innovation but if they really need to like lay off tons of people to make the, the the business stay alive for for whatever extended period of time that they have to do that and the same goes for improvements to the other direction so uh like if you have plenty of of like low-hanging fruits that you can implement easily that have uh, a really like uh great positive impact then yeah sure go ahead and implement those yeah. um but then you don't want to do just uh like those low-hanging fruits right but you also don't, don't want to just aim for that like one huge innovation that would change everything if it succeeds because what what if it doesn't succeed and the the odds are that it won't so exactly. you obviously have to have like a balanced portfolio of, of initiatives that, that yeah. you're aiming for so Yes. So uh, a healthy combination of, of both of those and, and like the, the classic three horizons uh, model right. is I think like a good way to do that. So you have the majority of your stuff is, is kind of like the incremental improvement. Then uh, you have a bunch of things that are like somewhere in between. And then uh, a number of those big initiatives that really, really make a difference in the long term. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I think portfolio approach is uh is the right way to go and really again it's that sort of uh we we touched a little bit about this that sort of self-awareness it goes back to that discussion of like how do you define innovation for your organization so that self-awareness i think is really key here because mm -hmm. you are honest about you know your infrastructure right Um, yeah. And you're also um, aware and honest about your psychology. Like in many cases, how much risk are you willing to take? It's like putting together your own personal investment portfolio. Like how much risk are you willing to tolerate? Are you more risk averse or, you know, more adventurous? So I think it really, and, and I would, I would invite more of com more companies 
to take this opportunity, if we can call it this, the COVID-19, to really reflect mm -hmm. right, on what they've been doing so far and yeah. be brutally honest about you know, what they come up with. Like what's the insight from that period of reflection and then kind of chart a new course for what comes next. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it, like um, there's an old old saying that like uh, you should never let a good crisis go to waste, and, and I think that's uh, like <laughs> yes. true here as well. So we can use the the crisis and the unfortunate situation to take the positive out of it and and use the urgency that the crisis creates to hopefully move things uh, along faster than they otherwise would have. Uh, like going back to the meme that you talked about earlier. Yes. Yeah, I think I think COVID nineteen is the new uh, Kodak case study. Um, <laughs> yeah, for me, people are not going to remember Kodak. I mean, you know the Kodak, uh, you know case study where how did they not yeah. right? How did they not um, commercialize that digital camera? They had they were first right. They lost the market. They went bankrupt. Blah blah blah. All of that. Yeah. I don't think people are going to remember that. I think they're going to remember COVID nineteen. <laughs> yes uh, as that kick yeah. in the butt that they needed yeah and, and another thing is that um like um i recently saw this uh, like a uh, company called arc investment management talk about how innovation really does well during times of, of crisis and mm. when like during the 0809 financial crisis when like uh most companies uh cut their technology budgets by basically 30 percent or so um, like companies like Salesforce that had the then disruptive software as a service business model, mm. uh, like even the worst quarter of, of revenue growth for them was 20% or more, um, mm. like because their like uh, business model really uh, helped those companies uh, like st still like uh, get the business done and, and uh, move forward and, and uh, improve the ways that they were working yeah. while still like providing the right kind of financial structure for that kind of a situation. So uh, like people are simply much more willing to try out new things when times are tough, uh, like uh, than they otherwise would have uh, if they just see the upside in doing that because they have their backs against the wall, basically. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It, make, it makes me think about, that's interesting. It makes you think about um, those, those classic eighties, um, TV series. Um, I don't know if you're too young to remember that, but do you remember A Team? You remember MacGyver? Do you remember those? Um, I've, I've, I've seen uh, a few episodes of both, but, but those weren't really <laughs> in, in my childhood. <laughs> okay, so they were. I'm, I guess, older than you are, but uh, they, they were a major part of my childhood. And it's interesting they were built on, and this is fascinating for me on a personal level, but. Uh, there's always a format right behind these TV series and they were they were built on this format of the protagonist the hero kind of being pushed to the corner put in an impossible situation and then you know find a creative like super not just creative like super creative way of getting themselves out of that situation mm -hmm. and that was fantastic um, yeah and I think we're at that point, right? Uh, not to be sarcastic or anything like that. I think the the companies that realize, again, reflect on the situation and realize where they are 
and do their best they can and, and think creatively, like super creatively about ways of getting out of the situation are going to be the ones that, um, that survive this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's really like, uh, it's a tough situation, but, but the, the ones that are able to like take the situation and, and make the most out of it are, are going to come out of this stronger than, than before. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with that super optimistic uh, note, <laughs> we've been talking a lot about Vima. How can, uh, how can people learn more about Vima? And if you could, or if you thought about how can they use Vima in this specific situation during COVID-19 to be more successful or to help them get out of this situation uh, more quickly? Sure. So um, the best place to learn about our tool is, is obviously our website. So it's vima.com. So V-I-I-M-A.com. Um, and there you'll learn uh, about the tool. Uh, you can sign up for it for free. As mentioned, it's now the basic plan. Uh, it's now free for an unlimited number of users. Mm, cool. um, so so all of your listeners can can sign up for that and start using it with their organization. Um, and if you do sign up for the tool, you'll also get a link to a recent knowledge base article that we have that really walks you step by step through um, on how to create your first like idea challenge that uh, is focused on saving costs, which I think is, is a big priority for many organizations yeah. at the moment. <laughs> so that, yes. that's like a, a really like uh, convenient way to really get some positive change happen in the organization. Uh, with the tool uh, everyone will get familiar with the tool uh, and then once everybody is familiar with it and they see that it's led to something positive for the organization it's much easier to then start using the tool for other things as well within the organization so i think that's that's uh what i would recommend people to to do um, and the link yeah. to that will be in the the auto uh like responder email for people who sign up for the tool at the moment that's great that's good. And I'll put all of that. Uh, I'll put the link and everything in the in the show notes. Um, how can people learn more about you if they wanted to reach out to you or ask you more questions about what we discussed? What's the best way? Sure. So, um, like, my email is also on the contact page of our website, but it's it's jesse at vima.com. So it's quite simple to get. So feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions or, or anything. Cool. Uh, Just thank you so much. It's, I, I mean, you've been a great co-host. Thanks. The pleasure was all mine, Yannick. <laughs>